Hello and welcome into the Zags on Three podcast. Gonzaga is in the Final Four. We're going to talk about it. I'm Andy Bueller, Justin Reed here, Josh Horton, the usual suspects, you guys. Um, walk me through quickly uh, where you were on Saturday when Gonzaga made its first Final Four. Break it down for me. Where were you guys? Well, first of all, Andy, your voice seems a little hoarse right now. Were you doing, were you doing some yelling? Some yelling on Saturday? <laughs> uh, Gonzaga and Oregon winning and both going to the Final Four um, for the first time, at least for Oregon since 1939, uh, was um, did not bode well for my vocal cords. Pretty much the first time. Yeah, same with me. I think my voice has taken quite the, quite the beating since then. I was at my friend's house watching the game. We had a watch party there. Um, enjoyed the beatdown. The guns I get friends. That's yeah, yeah. I, contrary to popular belief, <laughs> um, but we we watched the beatdown. Um, we were pretty sure of it. After a while, it just you know kept on building and building. I th- I, I'm not gonna lie. Everyone was a little scared when Jonathan Williams. Uh, his uh, weird throw it off the floor and into Xavier's hoop move, uh, that happened. And then Makira's like three-quarter court shot went in. I think everyone was a little nervous. Um, but Makira's shot didn't count, and Gonzaga had absolutely rolled him in the second half. So, yeah, that's where I was. And um, got to see some couches on fire, so that was cool. Said hire the fire department. And that was kind of my night in a nutshell, to be honest with you. Justin, before you go, I'd, I'd like to say that I was playing pickup basketball at the rec the other day, and a guy walked by the baseline as to so as to walk around the game I was playing in, and one of my housemates looked at him and said, "Gosh, you really, really look like Makira," and he looked incredibly offended. It was the day after. It was the day after uh, the Gonzaga Xavier game, and I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, Makira was clearly the spark that was keeping Xavier alive, um, and he was fighting until the end. And I thought he was going to get in a fight at, at certain points, um, but just thought I'd, I'd like to uh, to put that in there. Justin, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, so I was uh, I was hanging out in uh, San Jose for the game covering it for the bulletin and so I was in the second row a little bit to the to Mark Few's left uh, hanging out having a good old time having to be neutral not being able to cheer even though I really 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 wanted to get getting to be neutral I you know I was I was working on it no well, getting to be but at the same time you know it's it's fun being a fan uh, so in my head I was a fan and once we got back to the hotel in the room I was a fan um, definitely cheered there Thanks for just outing yourself to all of uh, all of your readers. Well, that that's okay. I work for the Gonzaga Bulletin. What, I mean, it's not like I'm not a fan. I go to the school. So there's no hiding from it. Uh, it'd be different, like for you working for like the spokesman. You have to be more neutral because it's more professional. But anyways, I had a lot of fun. It was fun in San Jose, uh, getting kind of that firsthand experience of watching them win it all and hearing the crowd and watching everyone's reaction. It was a lot of fun. I was on campus. Uh, I was at Jack and Dan's, uh, which was a nice little time capsule of Gonzaga basketball history. Uh, that bar means a lot to the Spokane community and Gonzaga basketball. I think uh, I think I heard Mark Few that night was in Jack and Dan's. Um, I, I haven't confirmed that, but... Um, it was it was an interesting mix of ages. There were a lot of students there, and a decent chunk of alumni, and a lot of elderly people. Um, but it, it was definitely electric um, after the game ended. Yeah, yeah, I saw the players. They pretty much got right on the plane after the pr- their press conferences were done and the locker room access. They hopped right on the plane, and they were back in Spokane by about ten o'clock that night. And uh, 
it was more like 11 or 11:30. I was there. It was uh, they, they got it. They got there a little late, but oh, I think they tried to get there as soon as possible so they could go celebrate with their their fellow students. Yeah, and I, I saw I saw them on Snapchat. I saw some people hanging out at Scotty's. I don't, I don't, I don't like Scotty's. Why didn't they go to Jack and Dan's? That's just me. I tried to go to Jack and Dan's, but there was a line that was around the, the corner because allegedly Mark Few was there. Was Scotty's less busy? And so I went to Scotty's reluctantly, and it wasn't it wasn't bad. Weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I, I mean, everyone was on such a high like from the from the win that it was just you know it it, it was it was a passable it was passable. Well, for, I was watching something and they and they shouted out Scotty's as being the bar everyone should recognize, but that's not correct. If the Bulldog was still there, that might be a case for argument. But I think Jack and Dan's is more GU historically GU's bar. If, but in, uh, in, anywho, anyways, yeah. campus was electric after the game. There were couches burning, uh, people throwing couches out of windows uh, on and off campus. Uh, Justin, uh, more importantly, you were at the game. You were on the court. Um, what was that like? That was that was crazy. It was fun watching Mark Few go around. He was going to all the all the all of the, uh, his players' parents, giving them big hugs. The one that I heard specifically because he was standing right next to me um, as I was recording the live video, uh, it was Zach Collins' dad. And Mark Mark went up to him, and Zach Collins' dad is pretty big, so he kind of engulfed Mark Few. And I heard Few say, "You know, thanks for believing believing in us. This this is what this program can do." Um, I paraphrased that, but. That was essentially what he said, and uh, it was it was a really cool moment. And I, I watched Nigel go up to his dad and a big embrace, and all the players were going to their families and friends. And uh, it was it was cool watching few um, go down. You guys could probably see this on the broadcast. I'm guessing they were showing it, uh, but when he checked out uh, the players and put in the he kind of cleared the bench out and he went down the line of all the players and gave them all big hugs and he was crying and it was a big moment and it was fun watching everything happen on on during the celebration because few was obviously thrilled um and the players were it seemed like more thrilled because they had so much emotion and they put it all out there on the court and they dominated a team that had been doing very well in the tournament up to that point yeah xavier was one of the hottest teams in the tournament um certainly uh they uh as an 11 seed it was a great story Two Jesuit schools, two uh, mid-majors that have had a great program success, never a Final Four. Chris Mack had coached a heck of a season. Uh, and and Xavier, who kind of skidded into the NCAA tournament, lost the last two games of the season. And then, uh, you know, before, before playing in the NCAA tournament, they were one of the teams that, that got really, really hot. And so for, for Gonzaga to... Um, to beat them by as much as they did, I think kind of removed all reasonable doubt that um, any doubt that that was out there about this, whether this Gonzaga team is legit or not, um, whether it be West Virginia totally throwing off everything they wanted to do, um, whether it be being, you know, trailing in the first half to the 16th seed or what or whatnot, or whether it be just fans from around the country seeing Gonzaga as that team that is that is. Uh, is never is always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, always plays a weak conference schedule, and and they don't take seriously. So, um, I think that that game Saturday was validating in a lot of ways. And uh, Gonzaga is actually favored in this game against South Carolina to go to their first national championship. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. After they beat Xavier, everyone was there was still like you know look how easy of a run they had at the Final Four. This is they beat you know an 11 seed, a 7 seed, and a 16 seed, and everyone was just like you know this they they didn't really earn this. And it's funny 
hearing all of this and just thinking like, you know, they played the teams who were put in front of them and they played them really well. And they, I mean, I showed you a stat yesterday that they're the first team in 20 years to outshoot their opponents, field goal percentage wise, in the last 45 games. That's pretty impressive. And this, this, this basketball team isn't a a joke like they're they're a for, for real team with real national championship aspirations and the numbers back that up the eye test backs that up and i mean you can't do anything but play the teams that are 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 in front of you and in the elite eight you play xavier you play west virginia you play these two teams that have reached the sweet 16 in the elite eight respectively so these teams didn't just get there based off of luck so why is it luck that gu got to play them I don't. I think you know. For anyone who thought that the team was a joke, that was dispelled by the fact that they're in the final four. So thanks for doing that, Justin. Well, well, no, because I, I, I also talked to to people on, on the college sports satellite radio people who the one guy was like, you know, they're they have they've had an easiest run to the final four ever, and that it, all this stuff about how they got so lucky. And I, I still don't think, even though they they dispatched Xavier so easily, I don't think it put to rest the thought that they got lucky. I mean, Xavier also did just hand it to Arizona in the last five minutes of their game. Um, it's not like they, they they're walked, facing an Xavier. Florida State. They're facing an Xavier team that you know went through a really tough road to get there, and they proved that they were playing really well. And um, you know, Gonzaga, you know, showed accordingly that they are a legit team. I don't think you're going to change anyone's opinions that thinks you know Gonzaga's Final Four road um, was easy, and their you know their accomplishments aren't validated because of that. I don't think anyone's opinion is going to get changed. Um, a lot of those people probably don't watch a whole lot of college basketball to begin with um, and don't have quite the, the landscape or have a good idea of what the landscape of college basketball is like. Shall we move on to South Carolina and take a look at the Gamecocks? I think we shall. So South Carolina, like Xavier, is a little bit of a uh, Cinderella story in, in a lot of ways. Uh, came into the tournament uh, losing six out of their last nine games. Um, was bounced really early in the SEC tournament. Ken Palm didn't pro- or projected them to lose in each one of their tournament games this year um, to Marquette, to Duke, to uh, who would they play in the Sweet 16? Someone will remind, someone will remind me? Baylor. They, they predicted them to lose to Baylor and uh, to Florida in the Elite Eight. <coughs> so not, not a lot of people thought um, – South Carolina was going to be uh, in this spot, and Ken Palm, one of the the best uh, predictive measures uh, for this in the country. So South Carolina is uh, they're paced by their defense most definitely. Um, they allow only thirty one point or thirty point one percent shooting from three point range. That's eighth in the country. Forty five point three from inside the arc. That's 29th in the country. Their uh, defensive efficiency in Ken Palm is second. And um, they force opponents to turn the ball over on 24.5% of possessions, which is very high. Uh, Gonzaga, comparatively, also has a great defense. So we'll see two defenses going up against each other. Gonzaga um, is fourth in the country in opponents' uh, three-point shooting percentage at 29.3 and uh, second in um, two-point percentage at 34.8. South Carolina, comparatively, does not have a great offense, although they have played a much better in the tournament uh, for the season. They have an offensive efficiency, adjusted efficiency rating of a 108.5, which is 105th in the country, and an effective field, point, a field goal percentage of 
27.4%, which is 299th in the country. So not a great offensive team this season. Have been playing better in the season. Have two very good players in Sundarius Thornwell and P.J. Dozier, two guys that are likely to be in the NBA someday, and they have carried them very far. And some of the role players as well have stepped up on the offensive end. The Gamecocks have also defended the three incredibly well this tournament. I mean, Duke was a team that relied on the three, uh, and that was a, a really big part of their offense. And uh, they held Duke. Duke hit 10 threes, but they had to take 27 to get there. Uh, and then they played against Baylor. Baylor only hit three threes, and then Florida took a bunch of threes and only hit seven. So uh, Gonzaga doesn't necessarily rely on the three, but they're a way better team when hitting the threes, and they certainly have capable shooters. Um, so you know, watch for that to be uh, watch for that to be a, a narrative early. Yeah, it's interesting. GU has played already two of the top five defenses in the country this season, according to Ken Palm. They played Florida uh, in November, and then they obviously played West Virginia just a couple or last week. Uh, so I think they'll be ready for this defense. Uh, one thing I noticed while watching South Carolina is they don't press like West Virginia does, but they get in your face like West Virginia does on the um, in the half court defense. And uh, I think that is something GU needs to work on because they broke. West Virginia's press fairly easily uh, throughout the game. It was the half-court defense that they struggled with, um, but I think they have a lot of confidence coming off of that Xavier win, and they have a whole week to look at South Carolina, and they actually I mean, they have an extra day of rest too over South Carolina. Uh, I mean, you're looking for any sort of advantages that you can get that, that come this time in the season because you're playing your GU's playing their 38th game, and South Carolina is playing their 37th. So uh, there's a lot going on with this game, and uh, I think South Carolina is a very good team, but they've been really kicking, uh, turning it on here in, in the postseason play. And a lot of that has to do with Thornwell, who has just gone crazy. He's dropped 29, 24, 24, and 26. And he dropped 26 against that same Florida team that has one of the best defenses in the country. Um, but that was a uh, that was very interesting, that, that Florida, um, Florida-South Carolina game. Do you guys want to hear something that we probably would not have been predicting uh, this time last week when we were talking. The two best players for Gonzaga and the, the I would say the reason that Gonzaga is in the final four is because of Jonathan Williams and Jordan Matthews. Two transfers, two guy, two role players. Uh, Matthews with his huge, huge shot, his corner three in transition. Um that that gave Gonzaga that that final push against West Virginia, and and then Jonathan Williams, who won MOP, um, with his big performance against against Xavier, a really dominating performance down low. Yeah, Jonathan Williams' transformation this season has been pretty startling. Honestly, he he came in. Um, looking like more of a role player, an energy guy that can get offensive rebounds and, you know, muck it up inside. And now he's a legitimate force. I mean, he is one of the probably three most important players on Gonzaga right now with his athleticism. He can guard um, really tough players. I'm sure he'll get a the heavy dose of Thornwell and, um, you know, be tested in that regard. And also, you know, shoulder a lot of the load offensively against South Carolina. His, uh, his emergence this season has been really fun to watch um, because he is he's a really athletic player and he brings a different element and I think Gonzaga has uh, you know benefited from that from his emergence this season. Yeah, he uh, he's actually scoring less per game than last season, but his efficiency levels are off the chart. He's he's shooting twenty percent better from the field than he was last season, uh, as well as. Um 
three-point range, which isn't a big deal. But, I mean, he seems to make one, it seems like one, once a game. And they're usually big shots. Um, I know he was part of the run uh, in the first half where he dropped a three-pointer. Um, then once he makes one, then they realize that he can do that. But he's been really fun to watch this season. I remember at the beginning of the season, <coughs> excuse me, that he uh, he was looked like he was uncomfortable with his back to the basket. Um, and he was kind of, he had more turnovers than he probably would have liked. But now you mentioned his transformation from the beginning of the season to now is pretty incredible. In his last two games, he's dropped uh, 13 points against West Virginia and then 19 points against Xavier. And that was on eight of 12 shooting. Uh, granted, he only shot two of eight from the free throw line, which you obviously would like to see better, uh, a better free throw percentage there. But he had eight rebounds, three blocks. Um, but yeah, you mentioned, and Andy, you said it too, that he can guard, he can guard people who are taller than him. He can guard people who are shorter than him because he's so long that if he gets beat by a shorter guy, he can make up for for it by contesting the shot. Yeah, he can switch onto guards as well, uh, which is really crucial, especially when you have those uh, those uh, pick heavy offenses. Um, I was talking when we were in Salt Lake for the first two rounds. I was talking to Brian Michelson, uh, assistant coach about J3's uh, um, transformation from what he was at Missouri where he got a lot of touches and they weren't a good team um, to his uh, role here at Gonzaga. He obviously had the... um, he had the year off, which he said was really challenging for him, uh, but it gave him the chance to uh, go up and, and experiment. You know, he he would guard uh, Perkins, McClellan, Williams, Goss in practice as practice, and, and, and the coaches wanted him to get accustomed to that. And so, you know, early in the season, the first couple of games, which you've seen from transfers in their first couple of games at Gonzaga sometimes where they don't feel entirely comfortable in the system, uh, they're bumbling balls out of bounds, um, they aren't necessarily, like you said, you know, back to the basket, um, some different parts of their game that they're still trying to get a feel for. Um, and then watching him grow into the uh, player he has been is is kind of gone unnoticed. Um, I think, in you know, by, by the masses, he was voted first team all WCC for a reason. And uh, his, his, his role has, uh, has really flourished, especially as, as Karnowski has played less minutes. And, uh, and, and they're really giving, you know, that four-man rotation, they're really balancing that out uh, in, in, in the front court. But I think a, a part of it is he's a really quiet guy. He's a really kind, quiet guy who just wants to make sure that he's doing his role exactly right. He was really concerned about that, that he was uh, that he was uh, performing well for the coaches, that he was doing exactly what the coaches were saying. And to the point where, uh, and Michelson called it paralysis by analysis, where they're just like, okay, you need, you know, be yourself, you know, play, play loose. You know, we, we, we want you to flourish as your own player and, and you can do that while playing in this role. And he's been showing that this NCAA tournament. Yeah. When he was asked about his performance after the Xavier game. And the first thing he said, he's, he was just like, you know, I, I want to thank God for helping me sit out last season. And uh, he's a very humble guy. And it, it also, you talked about his transfer from Missouri. That's not an easy thing to do to take a year off doing the sport that you've been playing for however many years years and just saying yeah, I'm gonna take a year off and watch and you know you want to get better and you you think you'll get better but it's not it, it can't be easy watching the you watching from the, the bench and practicing every day still uh, so I think that adds both for Williams Goss and uh, Jonathan Williams I think it added an extra level of humbleness that has made them appreciate the game more and I think made them b- better players because of it mm-hmm. 
I'm going to pivot a little bit here and uh, make a point about Thornwell, who I think is uh, a really dynamic figure in this game, obviously, with how well he scores and uh, how well he defends and how athletic this guy is. So what one key part of the game I really think people need to look out for is Thornwell is very adept at getting to the free throw line. I believe his free throw rate is uh, 59.2, which is pretty high. It's going to be very key for Gonzaga's bids to not get flustered at picking up fouls and because it's going to happen. I mean, this guy is really good at drawing fouls, and he's done it throughout the whole tournament. Gonzaga's bigs really have to stay focused and stay composed even if they're getting you know some ticky-tack foul calls because this guy is kind of – I mean, I think he's earned a little bit of um, – a the benefit of the doubt from the officials of this play and he's emerged as a star in this tournament he's going to get some calls staying composed guys like Shamick guys like Zach Collins they really need to be on the floor for Gonzaga to flourish in this game and they need to stay composed yeah and one thing that they didn't do very well against Xavier is they didn't uh, they had a lot of dribble penetration Xavier did uh, GU adjusted a little bit better and contested those shots more in the second half but the South Carolina team does a lot of that dribble penetration from their guards uh, so I'm, I'm, that's going to be one of the big things I would guess that GU is working on in practice is limiting that and uh, yeah you mentioned it I, I think even uh, Zach Collins was quoted by saying I need to play smarter because he needs he'll be needed in this tournament uh, or for the tail end of this tournament and he can't be get getting into foul trouble i think he fouled out for the sixth time this season against xavier and uh they they do need to watch their fouls because they have had foul trouble these last two games uh granted the officiating on both sides has been interesting uh but you have to adjust interesting does not describe the officiating give me a more descriptive word <laughs> it, it was poor the officiating i think was poor and i think both teams would agree on that both west virginia lot, and xavier a lot, a lot of fouls called i think with the emphasize emphasis on um you know what? What is it? The space of a player. I I I could say this way more articulately than I am. But with the the emphasis on the rules of you know the the rules are more tailored for the offense. I think that that just kind of lends itself to more whistles because you know college kids can't always defend correctly. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up officiating because that that help will help us touch on what was the best game of the weekend, which was Kentucky-UNC. Um, arguably, I, I, I guess you could probably put um, Florida and Wisconsin up there. Um, but, I, I mean, Kentucky-UNC, uh, De'Aaron Fox, right? It was De'Aaron Fox. No. That made the, yeah, the three-pointer? Three. It was uh, Malik Monk. Malik Monk hits the three uh, with seconds left, uh, only leaving barely enough time for UNC to go down the floor and uh, kick back to Luke May, the god, who uh, splashes in... Uh, to send UNC to uh, the Final Four for uh, the second straight year, almost mirroring the Villanova game to a T, just the way that those final seconds unfolded last year, the national championship game. Um, but checking in with uh, with Big Blue Nation, uh, I'm just looking on Reddit. Uh, Kentucky basketball fans are currently sabotaging referee John Higgins' roofing business on his Facebook page with one-star reviews after the UNC loss. So uh, just checking in with see how Kentucky's doing. Um, not, little, not handling it not, well. Not handling it entirely well. <laughs> Sabotaging uh, people's personal businesses is never, never a good look. It's so funny. <laughs> that that is really funny. Um, but going going off of who made that shot for UNC? Luke May. Luke May. Did you did you see that video of him coming into class and people were like cheering and then now it's a big deal. He's like he showed up to his eight a.m. class and it's like yeah he has eight eight a.m. class and he's a college student. Big deal. 
All right, don't be the, don't be this surly curmudgeon, Justin. It's, it's, oh my goodness! Hey, Justin, we have an eight a.m. class, and you haven't showed up at eight a.m. <laughs> all semester. Okay, well, to be, <laughs> I, I also have been gone. No, but but okay. our teacher our teacher is very lax. So, <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? It's just I, personal I think, accountability, Justin. I, I think we need to get Professor Confences on the show to to, to see uh, you know how he truly feels <laughs> about you showing up at eight fifteen every day. Well, I, I'm. I'm but yeah, I need to, I need to get caught up with my assignments too. So I, that also could be something he could comment on. <laughs> so just hold off, hold off with your curmudgeon takes. <laughs> you you can cut this out if you want, but if I hit the the game winning shot to send my team to the final four, I would be way too hungover to go to my eight a.m. class the next day. I'm just saying. Uh, that's so shout out to Luke Bay for going to his class. Extremely valid. No, seriously. Ignore Justin and his surly curmudgeon yeah. attitude. All right. <laughs> In moving on, Josh, would you like to take us through our picks? Because I was I was putting it off uh, over the weekend. I, I forgot exactly who I picked. I felt pretty good about it. Um, but last week, we bet on all the Sweet 16 games. Uh, whoever uh, hit the most uh, correct picks out of the Sweet 16 games um, would win, and the loser would have to dance to George Michael in the Hemmingson Rotunda. I believe you uh, have that have that flipped. Um, the loser actually wins, and um, whoever got the most right has to dance. To, that we we discuss this. That's the prize. Oh, I think I think uh, I think someone might have lost, and is, is not excited to dance to George Michael. To be fair, I also don't remember agreeing to this bet, but it worked out okay for me so far. Yeah, Justin, Justin you, you also you just absolutely... copied Andy every time. So all right, Josh, we went back and forth. I didn't copy anyone. Josh, take us through, take us through the picks. I don't want to hear what, that. What, um, what were the results? So Andy was easily in first place. He nailed seven out of seven out of eight in the Sweet Sixteen Ooh, round. I believe the one team the one missed on Arizona. Pick. Oh, that was the one. Yeah, God, you're dumb. Other than that, um, hundred percent. Justin whiffed on Arizona and uh, Oregon. No. He picked, uh, you picked uh, Michigan, right? I think so. Yeah. So he whiffed on those two. And I was a, um, you know, a sterling three of eight in the the Sweet 16 round. I, be, I, I believe I'm a bit of a contrarian and that um, came back to bite me in the end. So that, did, that didn't go, that did not go well. Um, I whiffed on the complete, <laughs> the East, the East region and, um, I, uh, yeah, it was, it did not go well. Let's just say, I'm just going to say that. Yeah. So, Josh, there will be a video of Josh. We promise this week. Don't worry, Justin and I won't let you won't let you off the hook. If it has to be, if it has to be at the University of Phoenix Stadium at the Final Four this weekend, it will be. Maybe you'll just I'll, be. I'll pass on that. Maybe you'll just be on stage, just dancing to some Keith Urban, <laughs> just with headphones on, listening to George Michael. No one will know but you. We could have him <laughs> and us, like walking around the hallways in the stadium, just like with with beats on and just dancing to yourself in in, in and out between all the fans. That could be fun. It's like that. It's like that one Peyton Manning Saturday Night Live skit. That dance. The best. One of the best SNL skits of all time. You mean? I'm gonna need. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need some great dance music. So here's the problem. So this song, you know, if you've never heard of it, you know, go listen to it on Spotify or, or your preferred listening device, whatever you want. So. I don't know why I had that. That anyway. So this song, you know, it's it's a bit sensual. You know, um, I'm afraid that if I if I dance this song, I couldn't do it justice. Um, you know, if I want to stay in school and not be suspended slash expelled, because I'm I'm scared for my um, for my academic eligibility at this point. 
You know what? I think that 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 uh, what you're trying to say is there's some intramural season still left, and since you are a college intramural athlete, you're afraid of uh, dancing and and people walking by and throwing money at you, which will, could be perceived as an NCA violation. Yes, yes. I mean, the inter- intramural department is part of athletics that would qualify as a violation. So I'm I mean, the we'll- pitch. I'm the starting pitcher for my coed and men's softball team. I really can't afford. They really can't afford me to lose um, my eligibility. I need to be on the field for my squad. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe we'll we'll readjust. All right, so that will be coming this week. Uh, check Twitter with the hashtag ZagsOn3 at either either me or Justin, because uh, I'm sure Josh will not be sharing that himself. Don't don't count on it, please. <laughs> um, no, it will happen. Um, and, and, hold, <laughs> no. and hold him to it. Uh, but this week we're going to have a new bet, and it's going to be on the final four games. We'll go we'll go um, we'll go on the spread. Josh, would you like to? Uh, walk well, we got to establish the bet first. I, I need to know what I'm getting into. If you have a bet, if if you have a good, some good stakes, uh, you know, tweet it out at us at uh, at GU Bolton Sports. Uh, just so our, our editors uh, over at the Gonzaga Bolton will just be fielding these weird bets and not know what what's going on. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we'll make something up in advance. Um, Josh, if we are, are are kind of running out of time, if you want to run through the picks. Yeah, of course. So the two games that are uh, that are happening this weekend, Gonzaga is favored uh, six and a half points over South Carolina, and UNC is a four and a half point favorite over Oregon. Uh, we're going to pick against the spread this time. Andy, who is your choice for the GU South Carolina game? We'll start off. It's six point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to go. I will pick uh, Gonzaga against the spread. You're going to say I'm going to copy him, but I'm I'm also going to take that. Shocker! I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take South Carolina. Oh, trendy! Wow. So North Carolina is a four and a half point favorite, like I said, over Oregon, Andy's um, hometown team. Andy, who do you have in this game? Uh, I will take uh, I will take Oregon. I really, really want to pick Oregon, um, like really badly, but I think because I picked Oregon, and, that's, <laughs> and I, that's I have you, to go with live you. or die by Andy's picks. Um, but I'm going to take UNC. I will think it'll be a close game. Would you say four and a half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Some independent thought from Justin Reed. Who would have thought? So here, <laughs> so here, I'm going to take Oregon as well. Uh, I think I think Oregon wins. All right, that's it for this week's show. Uh, follow us all along uh, at our Final Four coverage. Josh will be covering for the Spokesman Review. Uh, Justin and I for uh, your Gonzaga Bulletin. Uh, follow us along at GU Bulletin, S-P-R-T-S, uh, on Facebook at Gonzaga Bulletin. Subscribe to the Zags on 3 podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week. Zags on 3 is a joint production between Isaac Radio and the Gonzaga Bulletin. The show is produced by me, Andy Bueller, and outro music is courtesy of Gonzaga alums Matt Friedman and Ben Cavino. Special thanks to our station managers, Robert Perry and Sam Takizawa, who helped make this thing happen. 